Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Vanity Fair. Are you for real? Are you for real, more like you frigid weirdo? <laughs> University is just sex with books. Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss episode seven of season six of the Netflix series The Crown. It's called Alma Mater. So it's going to be St. Andrews. No typing, bruh. No. Later, Ed McVeigh, who plays Prince William, will be stopping by to talk about surviving Will's mania and his royal romances. And just a housekeeping reminder, next week on December 19th, you'll see the final three episodes of Still Watching appear in your feed, uh, just in time for your festive uh, binge watching, which will be fun. Uh, But anyway, let's get into a recap of this episode, Alma Mater. Prince William is newly 18 and off to uni and continually has brushes with one Kate Middleton. What's her name? Kate. Beautiful Kate. Puts the Kate in intoxicating. That was good. Kate gets fed up with Carol Middleton's Kris Jenner slash momager-like tendencies to try to get her together with the future king. You've always loved the idea of me and William together. I was all set to go to Edinburgh University, straight after school, with all my friends. Then you suggested I change it to St Andrews after a gap year with none of my friends. That was no coincidence. Yes, it was. William is sad he can't win Kate's affection and contemplates dropping out of school. Don't lose faith. I'm a firm believer that what is meant for you won't pass you by. But a well-timed text message from Kate keeps him in Scotland. Hillary, I think you had watched ahead a bit and you said that, oh, there is a sort of Kate origin story kind of thing. But you didn't say it was going to be Eve Best calculating <laughs> party party supply millionaire. I, I thought it was so much fun how much they actually paid attention to the sort of calculated nature of Kate's 
courtship with William. Carol that, Middleton. It sounds like a conspiracy theory. Right. But then the show is completely bearing out that conspiracy. Right. It's like, no, that, that is exactly what happened. That she actually did decide when her daughter was a teenager, she is going to meet William and make him fall in love with her. I love this episode, and mostly because of Carol Middleton, Kate Middleton's mm-hmm. mom. Every time she wasn't on screen, I was like, get her back. I want to see <laughs> yeah. her machinations. You want to see, see her, her popping out from behind a plant, just like watching her mustache, like, <laughs> twirling her mustache to make this happen. I We spent so much of the first three or four episodes talking about, you know, Mohamed Al-Fayed and his master manipulation plan to get Dodie and Diana together, but he doesn't hold a candle to Carol Middleton. It is so funny that they are basically doing the exact same thing. And I know that the Muhammad stuff rubbed both of you the wrong way sometimes. Um, But you know what? This is a white woman. And so we can all just enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she also. There's no baggage. She was successful. And she literally made it happen. She She made it. She made it happen. It's sort of like a begrudging respect. Like, God damn, she really did that. Which, like, think about how hard it would have been to get your daughter in front of Prince William. Like, actually, she had to time their college. She had to make sure they went to the same college. She had to make sure that they arrived the same year. She by forced both taking... a gap year, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. She yeah. forced her to go on the exact same gap year. That... Yeah. Gap year. Well, no, and then Kate <laughs> was, like, following. I mean, according to the show, yeah. Kate's, like, following William from, like, location to location and just missing him each time. But then they have so much to talk about once yeah. they get to St. Andrews. It is Machiavellian, and I fully loved it. And I loved her performance, the actress that played. It's sort of a salt burn thing, too, because it's, like, happening the whole time behind the scenes, and then at the end, Kate's like, listen, Mom. <laughs> this was the plan all, right. <laughs> all along. Right. You know, uh, we... Uh, always... Spoilers for salt burn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. We obviously knew that there was going to be a Kate Middleton episode, or she had to be introduced eventually. I sort of assumed, for whatever reason, that it would be mostly like when they're already together into the proposal and all that i love that they started at this point you know mm-hmm. like they they're really going back in time and and tracing this and i think that the episode's ending where it's like oh okay contact has been made he's not going to leave school I don't feel like I need to see the wedding at this point. I, I think that this was the interesting part of William and Kate. Do you agree or disagree? Or No, I mean, their relationship is interesting because there's there's on and off, like an on and off aspect. You mm. know, in the British press for years, she was called Wady Katie because he hadn't proposed to her yet. Mm. Like, oh, so and nice, my my other, my favorite thing also from the British press um, that I don't know if the show is going to talk about, but I feel like the Carol Mid- Middleton uh, arc really supports this is Kate and her sister Pippa were called the Wisteria Sisters. Do you guys I don't, have you heard I don't this? remember. They were it's, big it's, because, it's because they're like beautiful, fragrant, and very good at climbing. Wow. They like That's climbing. Amazing. Isn't that the most incredible <laughs> oh, thing that you've is, ever heard? Yeah, wow. You gotta give really the British good. press, you know, some props for that. They they killed Princess Diana, but you know what? <laughs> that was the French press. Okay. <laughs> we can't complain. Like from my too. kitchen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I don't really remember maybe you all have a better idea of what, like, what Kate Middleton actually looked like. Because at the beginning, I was like, she doesn't really look like Kate Middleton to me. Mm-hmm. But then I went and Googled some photos, and it actually is pretty— It's a good likeness. It's a good likeness. It's more sort of accurate than I initially thought before yeah. I went back and did the work. And the actor playing William is—that's an astonishing likeness. Oh. It's kind of crazy. Spitting it, it yeah. really— yeah. And he's good. And I think that I like the way that the character is being drawn. And maybe that's just because I like the way that William is framed in contrast to Harry— 
Mm-hmm. And I thought it was nice that in this very William-focused episode, they did take time to be like, Harry was there struggling, acting out, and terribly conscious of the fact that he is the spare, that he is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of... Um, and kind of consciously acting this role that he believes he has been... That's, like, yeah, it's that like his he, birthright. Yeah, to, that he th- he thinks he is destined to be the fuck up. In order for William to, to seem better yeah. in contrast. And it's not and like anybody can. has necessarily told Harry that, but it does seem like he has just internalized yeah, it. Yeah, and it, it, he used that knowledge to basically be like the older brother to William. I mean, mm-hmm. he was sort yeah. of coaching William through... The, yeah, he's like, stop being such a frigid weirdo. Yeah, like, go after her. You're the king of England, kid. Yeah. Like, if you want her, <laughs> you could probably... You should shoot your shot. Um, but, but that undercurrent of sadness that, like, I'll never have the status that you have Mm -hmm. simply because I am your younger brother. The frigid weirdo thing is interesting. I mean, I don't, obviously Harry was famously the more like party going brother. Mm -hmm. At least that the public knows about. But like, do we think that William's character is like well drawn? Are you convinced by this portrait of him? You know, I'm going to say yes. And I will give some Props to the beginning of the episode, showing him with his lads at Eton, you know, sort of <laughs> yeah. grad parties, that he has a circle. He is a social guy, but he's so sheltered mm-hmm. because of his, you know, ascent to the throne that is forthcoming that he can't help but be, as you've said before, a weird alien freak with yeah. actual normal people. And college is filled with actual normal people. And I mean, just the scenes of him getting mobbed by classmates. And I was watching with my roommate, and we were both like, we would never go up to him Are you and kidding ask me? for an autograph. No. What a loser behavior. You didn't you didn't go to college with somebody famous no, that you like, Olympians, looked at some Olympians, some actors, mm-hmm. no one super famous, but I absolutely didn't ask for anybody for any autographs. No, that would <laughs> that would have been gauche. That would have been gauche. But you just thinking about what that must have been like for him, his sort of awkwardness, it worked for me. And his sort of inner circle of like, you know, I'm with Ollie Chadwick Healy and Fergus Boyd and his like Eaton <laughs> friends with the craziest they all names. Have yeah. Harry Potter names. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like that's his little circle. Those are the only people he'll ever know and ever be able to create any sort of connection with. And even then, it's so mired in his kingdom that I, I find it to be a compelling character. Yeah, it's it's sort of tough when his main his most notable personality traits are like his reserve and his reticence to be a public figure and his, yeah, I, I don't know. He's just very, he seems like a guy who would be a very normal person and like maybe slightly boring, like mm-hmm. as Harry calls him, if he were not the heir to the throne of England. And so given that that is kind of, you know, Harry is kind of a more dynamic character and I think would be more exciting to watch on screen. It's it's the Elizabeth and Margaret problem again, but like given mm. those limits, I think that the this episode does like what it can and it paints, you know, a convincing portrait of who he was as a young entering college student. Yeah. The show has to track succession. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. and William is just the next in line. And so Harry, while he might be the more dynamic sibling, I understand the focus on William. And I think it I have no idea what these people are like in real life. I'm sure they're all entitled assholes, but like <laughs> it, it it did at least in this version of the show, like, it humanized William for me in a way that I found pretty sympathetic. And, like, if you are constantly told that you not only have to be responsible for your benefit and for your family's benefit, for, but for the benefit of the nation and yeah. this, you know, thousands Nay of— the world, yeah. 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 Like, this, it's, it's a huge thing. That would, of course, harden you into a frigid weirdo, probably. 
because and then the, the sort of envy I think that William has for Harry who can kind of fuck up you know he obviously did get in trouble for yeah. things eventually but like yeah I just think that dynamic is poignant and one that is nicely reflected in the earlier seasons with Margaret and, and Elizabeth and yeah just yeah. I mean just the weirdness of turning 18 and the first thing you have to do is a press conference where everybody is like oh we've been waiting for yeah, you right. he's a D1 right. football player announcing where he's going to be quarterback like yeah, that's yeah. The, the only yeah. thing that <laughs> is akin to that that mm-hmm. I've ever seen and we also not to forget but it's not only is a weirdo because of his circumstances of birth but also the circumstances of his life I mean his mom you know mm-hmm. dies in a car crash when he's 15 that's gonna fuck you yeah. up too yeah. and I will say I did really appreciate I love that there were just I wonder if Elizabeth Debicki was like on a beach somewhere and they're like, hey, I know we wrapped, but like we actually need you to come back for <laughs> yeah. like two days so you can be and in stand this. Stand on a street corner and, yeah. <laughs> and wear a camel coat. Uh, hey, that was very generous. What's your name? Catherine. Kate's fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> what was she up to? But I was, it was lovely to see her again. And I liked that sort of scene setting, the framing of like, oh, this was destined. Mm-hmm. This. This began before anybody even thought yeah. it would at St. Andrews. Destined, but the effort of specifically one, one woman. Specific woman. <laughs> and her name is Carol Meditsky. <laughs> and, and she has a lot of great parties. Put some respect on her name. <laughs> so, yes, in, in this episode, um, Kate and William do not get together by the end of the episode. Their, their relationship will stretch into at least one more episode of The Crown, one would imagine. Um, instead, we see him in a relationship with this other character who appears to be fictional. Yeah, can you say her full name? Because it's so delicious. (laughs) Her full name, the character uh, who appears on the show, is Lola Ardell Cavendish Kincaid. Perfect. So nice, they named her thrice. Are there, I I feel like we need to ask our British producer, or uh, she's not, our Canadian (laughs) producer living in England, Emily, if... There are people with three last names. I I know two last names. You've got like your Helena Bonham Carters, but well, like three? maybe she has two gay dads, and one <laughs> of them right, has two go. names. There you go. I, I love the history that you are drawing with this character. A lot Thank of gay you. dads in the British aristocracy, famously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want, if you want to know more about William's actual girlfriends, um, you can of course read all about them on Vanity Fair. Our royal correspondent Katie Nichol um, has a story from December of 2010 that gets into what William was actually like at St. Andrews, uh, talks about his romantic his romantic life then. Um, and he did have girlfriends before Kate. And her Kate. book, as she said, was used as source material for writing this yes. right. part of the show. But I guess, I don't I don't know why they decided to make a composite. I guess it's just, they're going to make, they're going to compress the timeline a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I loved about Lola, one, her name, uh, obsessed. But I love that they were just like, this girl, she's bad. Bad girl, and Kate <laughs> yeah. is a good girl. Yeah, yeah. she likes and movies. She likes movies, and she's a bitch. But, <laughs> the, bl- but the blonde girl was the bad one, and the brunette was the good one. That We don't see that often. <laughs> we don't often. see that often. Mm. Yeah, that, we really That's sort of subverted the Disney narrative. rules, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I loved her two little space buns. It is the year 2000, and we are going to show it. Oh, my god! sorry, you, 2001. 2001. Still, same thing. Xenon girl of the 21st century. Exactly. Exactly what I thought. Um, <laughs> do we think, maybe my favorite scene or the most interesting scene to me was the fight in the library. I'm sorry, would you mind saying Yes, as that happens, I would. We're talking. Just go away. Please. Okay. Wow. What? That was weirdly rageaholic. They were only being friendly. Interrupting someone when they're talking is the opposite of friendly. I'd say that's rude. Okay, I really should go. Me too. So, I don't think you understand. I, I get that all the time. You have no idea what it's like to live with that kind of attention day in, day out. <laughs> don't we? But being ogled, looked at and judged constantly, try being a girl. 
A thick girl? No, try being any girl. Failing that, you could at least try to be a human being. While not reducing every woman to whether she's fit. What did we make of that? Uh, I think they were trying to show William as a young man learning about, like... The like the world of people like like oh he made a social misstep by you know kind of dismissing yeah he's been in a tower the, his whole life yeah and and like all of a sudden he's like at college having a sort of almost like political debate you know I thought that was like a, an interesting uh, way to show that sort of personal growth um, do I necessarily agree with Lola and Kate <laughs> that. Like, I mean, obviously that is something He's finally being treated like a woman, always (laughs) is treated. I don't know. That was Peter Morgan sort of going off. And I was like, this writing is crazy. (laughs) I I, I can see why a college student might be like, no, these are the same thing, but I don't know. But are we, but as an adult, I do not agree with that. Yeah, I thought that was ridiculous. I think William is living a very particular sort of life that maybe does not have a comparison. No, just being a hot girl is not the same (laughs) as being constantly photographed by every paparazzo in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But it is funny to imagine these weirdo freaks <laughs> descending from the mountain and having How to do have you feel about the royals. <laughs> I mean, have a focus group right them. now. But like to to think about them, like. How normal was William's college experience, really? Probably not that normal, because he had security and people were constantly mobbing him. I'm sure that he was sort of, like, shuttled between things and places and not really out in the, like, I guess he did live in a dorm, Mm -hmm. at least for a time. For a little bit. Yeah, but he's not not going to the Rangers. He's going to a party occasionally, as we saw in this episode, but he's also missing things to go to Balmoral and, you know, be back in his cloister. Right, uh, right. And I kind of, in a way, like, maybe zoomed out into the present tense like maybe that's why William didn't stray the way that Harry did because he he finds comfort in it or safety in it but it made me kind of sad for the character in this episode because it was like oh look you're getting in like a heated debate with some girls in the library and like you're having a normal college experience for like two seconds maybe you could preserve that but of course that's not no but it feels like he also made some choices like he could have gone to Raisin Weekend it seems but he chose (laughs) to go back which you know looked like a fun party Asher Roth I love college I was like ooh that looks fun well yeah and also like there's no (laughs) camera phones yet like he he could have interacted and like not necessarily had a Whatever he did at the party, you know, leaked to the press and the like Daily put on to the day. Yeah. Yeah. Like but, it, this was still possible in 2001 to have perhaps a bit of a normal college experience. Like it, Prince George is screwed. Oh, like oh those kids God. are, I mean, that it's oh, over yeah. already. Over for them. I will say, I do think the show did a good job with William also showing that he like was kind of depressed. Like he mm-hmm. sort of wasn't, it was not an easy adjustment. It wasn't a good adjustment. He's looking at Kate and Rupert Finchie, her boyfriend, through the window, like a Ben Platt waving through the window thing, mm-hmm. like just looking sad and forlorn. And that he really does have a hard time um, connecting with people his own age. And it's like, I would too, if every time I went on a run, I had to knock on an old man's door and say, hey, we're going Let's on this go. run. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, and then Kate's like, yeah, they swept my, my they sweep my room every day mm-hmm. because I live above you. Like these little expository details that are a little bit eye rolly do paint a picture of how weird it must be mm-hmm. to be William. Although by the end of the episode, I was like, can they just show us something and not tell us? Like the Kate Middleton <laughs> mom fight at the end, you know, Taylor Swift's mastermind was going to start playing at the end. Like it was so just like uh, subtext being completely textual. It is, yeah. It's getting grating for me. Yeah. And I think that like talking about the strangeness of William's college experience, 
perfectly primed then for this strange plan to have Kate fall. Like only from the strangest life could this other strange thing happen and be <laughs> yeah. and work. At you two, wonder you know, if he's like, going to find out at some point. Yeah. I mean, that would be an interesting conversation to see staged. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, I once you know bought a charity magazine off of you, and my mom decided. That we were going we to spend the next yeah. 10 years <laughs> yeah. getting me to become Doing well, whatever it takes. I, yeah, I'd never even is, heard of St. Andrews before. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, like, Kate is on her own, like, even without her mom's machinations. Like, she's voted, like, hottest girl in school. Mm-hmm. Like, she yeah. is she is somehow famous on campus, like, regardless of him and separ- separate from him, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, they had that scene of all the boys leaning back to look at her. Which is so 90s teen movie. So 90s teen movie. That was, so a, that, that was like... That was like not a very crowny kind of bit of direction, yeah. but it, it was fun. It was fun. It was, fun. Yeah. it was like that meme of all the white guys and their heads going <laughs> in a row yeah. and they all look exactly yeah. the same. I, I laughed. I think Kate was popular because the kids at in college, they love parties. And where do you get your supplies? <laughs> the party Carol supplies. Middleton. Yeah. <laughs> Middleton's are us. I actually don't know what kind of party supplies she... It's not. I don't think she runs like a party city USA. Or, oh, it's, you know. she doesn't just have like streamers? Because that's I, I what don't, I... <laughs> That's what I've been know. picturing since, yeah. like, 2012. <laughs> her husband leaves his job to work at the streamer company. Yeah. He's yeah. just, like, tying balloon yeah. animals, Time right? Is, is like, I, I just want, like, a somber crown scene where they're all wearing pointy cardboard par- party hats, you know? <laughs> <laughs> One kazoo. <laughs> Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, a conversation with Ed McVeigh, who plays Prince William. Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run Through Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run Through Vogue wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Amid his art history classes and hanging out with his Eton chums, Prince William is vying for the attention of one Kate Middleton. Actor Ed McVeigh has the task of portraying Prince William in his heartthrob Will's mania era. Chris got a chance to speak to him about getting the role um, and the love story that is slowly unfolding in Scotland. Enjoy their conversation. Gosh, well, Ed, thanks for uh, dropping by. This is uh, such a delight to have you on the podcast. I got to ask what might seem like sort of a silly question, but I really have to know, to start off, before you booked the crown, before you were Prince William, did people tell you how much you looked like Prince William at that age? No, I never never got it. I never got it. Um, And it's weird. I only get it at certain times now. I think it's only if I have like a shaved face. And um, my hair is a certain way or a certain haircut. But no, I, I never got it. I never got it at all. Um, it's only when people started to see the, the images and started to see, even when I got cast, people were like, oh, yeah, I mean, I kind of see it. But, you know, they'll do <laughs> the hair and everything, right? And they'll do your makeup. And I was like, yeah, they're going to do all of that. And I think when they first saw yeah. the pictures and everything, they were like, oh, okay, I see it. But I mean, I don't get it. Wow. I don't get it that often, if I'm honest. <laughs> 
That is so interesting because in the show, it's like the spitting image. And it's one of those things where I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly how old you are. Do you even remember that time of his life or were you even alive? Not yet. <laughs> no, so I wasn't, I wasn't alive when Diana died. Uh, so I'm, I'm 99, mm -hmm. born in 99. So I think I was, yeah, one Imagine. or two and three around the bulk of the, the bulk of this, the timeline of the show. Um, but then mm -hmm. again, like that in and of itself was very helpful because I didn't really have any um, preconceptions of what the timeline was supposed to be or what the, mm. oh, I didn't have any um, emotional connections to it or um, didn't have, didn't read it in the tabloids or anything. So I didn't, I didn't have any um, leeway either way in a way to portray it. I yeah. just had the, um, the words that Peter wrote, which were good enough. They were, you know, perfect. And um, yeah, so mm. I, I could just breathe life into the character on the page which I hope wow. I managed to do in some way. You absolutely did. I want to I wanna know in terms of the sort of booking this sort of life-changing role, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about, because you and uh, Meg Bellamy, who plays Kate, have such great chemistry and it's such a sort of a big task to sort of take on. So can you talk a little bit about, did you read together before you were cast? What was the process like of sort of booking this role? Yes, we both put in our self-tape at a similar time. We didn't, obviously we didn't know each other at that point. And we did, I'd some, my journey through it was I did my self-tape and then about a month later I did my first in-person audition and which went like mm. fine. Like it was one of those ones that I didn't like nail it and I didn't, you know, ruin it. It was just completely fine. And I was <laughs> in a room full of like 17 other Prince William lookalikes that were so much more Prince William lookalikes mm. than I was. And yeah, and then that goes by and then another month goes by. And then the first time I met Meg is they invited us to do a read-through of the whole season which before we'd been cast we haven't been cast yet we just got a call wow. being like so we're going to come come to Elstree, Street which is where they film quite a lot of it uh, up in mm -hmm. the studios and um, sit you know you sit in this massive marquee with it's probably about 250 people in there everyone who has anything to do with the with the show all of the heads of department all the principal cast uh, Peter Morgan and all of his writing team all the producers for Left Bank and Netflix and you know mm. you're there and that was the first time where I was like whoa like the scale of this thing I was pretty taken back by the company I was in and um yeah, yeah so I was a bit like poor and like again luckily the the amount that William does in the earlier episodes he's in a lot of scenes but he doesn't talk that much um so yeah. when on the second day where I was reading a lot of the later episodes where he starts talking I was used to the room and I was very much in a headspace where I was like, I'm, when am I ever going to be in a room like this again? Try and make the most of it. And even if I don't get the part, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to try and be as memorable as possible. Um, and that went well. And then they also sat me and Meg quite close to each other. We were on like a corner of a mm. table. So we were able yeah. to like sort of lock into each other. And I was, she was on a very similar vibe in terms of just try and be remembered. You know, that's the best you can do. And then, yeah. And I think it, the energy in the room was just felt really good. And um, it was yeah. a really good day. And then after that, we then did a lot of chemistry reads. And um, yeah, and then it all, it all just felt relatively natural. I mean, she, you know, she's incredibly talented and, and um, yeah, she did a, she worked incredibly hard. So yeah, I think it, would, mm -hmm. it just sort of flowed quite nicely. And we also had lots of rehearsals. We had lots of rehearsals beforehand yes. working with the directors, which is quite rare. It's quite rare for TV. Yeah, uh, for so TV, I'm told. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, um, so that was nice, yeah, to be able to unpack the text together with the directors. Um, so yeah, very lucky, mm -hmm. lots and lots of help. 
I want to sort of now dive into sort of like Prince William as a character, right? Because it's, you know, you're in a fictionalized drama, which is The Crown, but it's based off, you know, this guy who's around, I see pictures of him every day, right? He's a real person. So how did you sort of thread the needle and figure out your way in to playing Prince William at a really pivotal, a really tricky moment of his life right after his, you know, his mother passes away and when he's becoming, you know, a man and going to St. Andrews. Yeah, I think it's, luckily, again, this is one of those weird alchemy things. A lot of um, what the character's going through, in a sense, in the show, I could mirror in terms of energy with what was going on in my life. Like he was, like mm. the character's very much stepping out into this world stage that he's not really prepared for. Um, all the eyes are on him. Uh, he is stepping into or, or coming to terms with this role. And, and obviously the queen is an incredible figure. And this show is an incredible part of culture and has had incredible actors go through it and still does. The pressure of living up to uh, this institution and living up to this, the institution of the crown as a show and also the institution of the monarchy and being future monarch, a lot of those energies I could sort of mirror um, and just being sort of relatively unprepared and a lot of pressure and also things like, you know, being on set and the supporting artists, we did a lot of like recreating uni situations and universities, yeah. so a lot of young, <laughs> young cast and, um, and young uh, supporting artists. And, you know, especially in the early days, like people are like, you know, looking at you and being like, oh, that's the guy who's been cast as William. And that's how the process was in terms of when Will, William went to university, everyone knew who he was and everyone was looking at him and mm-hmm. everyone was gossiping about him. And, and that was, that's sort of how it felt. Not in like a, like a, like a mean way, just in a, in an obvious yeah. people are talking about you kind of way. And again, like that, totally. you could, you're getting that almost for free in a sense, because that's happening to you. And like going up to St. Andrews, like we, and when for the first time it felt, I realized it was such a global show. I mean, I knew it was, but when I really felt it was when we, the press sort of got a hold of it for the first time and that we had, you know, mm. paparazzis following us everywhere we went and, you know, lots of, um, you know, clicking <laughs> camera, <laughs> camera shutters when we were filming and, and then again, like that was his whole life, really. So to be able to understand yeah. what that feels like as an actor is incredibly helpful. Yeah, I mean, he's so sullen sort of at the beginning of that. And then we see him, and I, I would love to know, and you did sort of just address this, but the Will's mania of it all, seeing you thrust in front of all of those people, did that help prepare you? I think it will, I don't think it'll ever be quite as, a, as, as, as how it is in the show. But again, like, you know, they <laughs> yeah. don't, I thought a lot of that was maybe going to be faked in a green screen kind of way or you know, done in like movie mm-hmm. magic type type way. But no, they had like 50, I think they used like a um, a junior girls choir for the screaming girls in episode five because the, <laughs> the girls were screaming all day. And <laughs> they needed, wow. they needed you know, they couldn't just use normal supporting artists because they needed to protect their voice. So these girls were like yeah. screaming and, and it's, it's very intense. Again, like when you live through that and when that's happening for real, you know, you don't really have to act because it's just, it's just fundamentally overwhelming. But yeah, and yeah, it won't be anything like that in in normal life because that's like very <laughs> unique experience. But it's an interesting experience nonetheless. I you do such you have such these um, really intense scenes. I mean, in episode five, you and Dominic West, you know, with Prince Charles and sort of saying things that you know are really difficult. These sort of difficult, very emotional scenes. Um, you have such a great scenes with you know Harry Luther Ford. Can you talk a little bit about the ensemble and working? with, you know, Imelda Staunton, you know, oh, Don Quest. Yeah, it's, it was such a, like a, a pro, like a profound privilege to be able to do that. I mean, especially mm-hmm. at this age, like I never, 
Yeah, I, I always wanted to do, I'm mean, a big fan of the show anyway, and I always wanted to do something of this caliber, but like way down the line. So to get to do it this early is like, <laughs> it's crazy. But um, mm. yeah, I mean, the those the scenes between Dominic and, and Jonathan, like they were just so, they felt so truthful in a um, familial sense. I feel like, especially when you're grieving, like the people that you're close to are the ones that you lash out at and they're the ones that you put all the pain onto because you don't know, especially at that age, you know, you don't know what else to do because you're confused and you're angry. And I think I just connected to those. I think they, that didn't feel, and a lot of this show doesn't feel, obviously it's royal, but fundamentally at its core is a family and family relationships and family conversations in the uh, in the skin of the royal family, in like that's the yeah. cocoon of of what it, of what all this familial drama is going through. But I mean, you know, getting to work with Imelda Staunton is just like a ridiculous privilege. <laughs> she is the definition of professionalism. She mm. works so hard and never misses a beat. She's always on form, and I just learned a lot from her in terms of her set etiquette and the way she carries herself and the way she. Um, is just so dependable. I would love to know. So in terms of these takes, was there anything that was like left on the cutting room floor? Any scenes? Like I'm, I'm sure yeah. you shot so much. I know the shooting process was so long. Yeah, again. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, there was, there was a, there was a scene at the end of episode five when William goes yeah. to the urn, goes to Diana's urn in yes. all four. Uh, so that was, mm -hmm. that scene was extended where uh, at the end, the final shot is, is William breaking down and William crying. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, that was yeah. one of those scenes where I I did so much work on Diana and who who she was for my character, and I didn't get to work with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Debicki. Obviously, she's uh, she's she's gone by the time, which is one. which yeah, totally. she's part one, uh, which is obviously a great shame. But also, it was a bit of an asset because I was able to build like my character's perfect Diana and mm. an imperfect yeah. Diana. And she was always she was always the model, but it was. I was able to color her in essentially with mm. with emotions that suited me at the time. So I'd done all that work and I get to the shooting that shot and I break down and I'm and I'm really proud of it and um and then it gets cut. And then it's uh, like, oh yeah, okay, again. Stop. And I was like, oh okay, that's like but then I realized because I was I was a bit sad about that, because but egotistically yeah. wise, because I was like, Oh, I did some some good acting there, man. A real good acting. So My good, acting yeah. was so great. And it was <laughs> like and then I realized that that I feel like if that was to be in it, it would almost give the audience on almost an out because mm. the way the mood of that episode is so somber that and is so mm -hmm. filled with grief. I feel like if you let the audience off the hook by seeing him break down, it's almost as if he's over it and it's almost yeah. as if oh, he's purged that emotion and he's, he's like, it's fine now. And I think when you don't have that scene, because grief never leaves you, I think. When you lost someone like that, it never goes away. Um, you have it mm -hmm. forever. So I think it was such a good choice to cut that scene and leave the audience on that sense of pain and loss and and um, and sort of numbness, I think, was really clever, yeah. actually. Even though it, I, I, I had to give my ego a little bit of a check, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is good, yeah, which is good, which so, is what you should be doing anyway. That's good. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah I mean, there was, yeah, yeah, I think that's the big one. That's a big one that I remember in terms mm. of a scene that got cut.
I got to say, I love all the scenes. I think the relationship between you and Harry, it's so it's so great. The brotherly relation, that that brotherly dynamic that is so complicated because, you know, they both, it sort of mimics Elizabeth and Margaret's yeah. relationship and that one is, you know, duty and honor and has to be the number one and one is, you know, the spare, number yeah. two. Can you talk a little bit about forging that relationship? Yeah, I think, I mean, Peter wrote it so beautifully in it. I've got a brother myself and I know Luther's, Luther's got brothers. I've got an older brother and Luther has older brothers mm. too. And I think we just had some sort of an understanding of, of that relationship and that there is so much love there. And it's, it's predominantly love, but in love, like I said earlier about the people you're closest to are the people that you can judge harder, the people that you can get angry at quicker because there's less of a wall between you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that's just so truthful. And fundamentally, it's a brotherly relationship that comes with all of the ups and downs and the and the um, the competition and the rivalry and because they're the closest thing to you. They're your brother. It's like they're your blood. And Peter wrote that. Is it, we didn't have to really pluck that out of thin air. That was very much on the page, which was easier to connect to having that, knowing that relationship. And I think, I mean, it sounds strange, but having gone to sort of drama school in a sense, even though that didn't necessarily prepare me for going onto a set, I've never been on a set before, you kind of, mm -hmm. or maybe I tried to give myself a level of confidence because I felt like I'd been taught stuff. I felt like I'd, I had, I had a, a, a relatively small tool, an acting toolbox that I thought, you know, oh, I, I'm going to use yeah. the three years that I should of, of, of acting <laughs> that I taught. And, and Luther had never um, planned to be an actor. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to try and uh, almost take you under my wing like a, like a, <laughs> like a, you know, an overprotective older brother or even though, you know, an older brother really doesn't know that much more about the world, but they make you feel like they do. It felt like, <laughs> yeah, it, felt like it, it felt like an easy connection for that, for that emotion and just hold him close and be like, we're going through this together and I've got you, um, which, mm -hmm. which was helpful, which was helpful. And I felt like that brought us closer together. So I think we really wanted to hold each other close. And um, I think that, especially in these days, that is their relationship. They are forged in yeah. the death of their mother and they're forged mm. in this, in this crazy world and they hold each other close, but they're in that bubble that they, of closeness, that's obviously where they can, you know, fight as much. Yeah. Has your relationship, your opinion or of the royal family changed at all after living as William for, you know, so many days and so many shots? Yeah, I think you have such a, a bigger level of empathy, I think, because you have to. You have to heavily empathize. You can't really judge anything that's going on because you know, you don't really judge the surroundings that you're in, I don't think. So you definitely, and you do so much research um, and you have more of an understanding, but you don't, you know, I don't get a peek behind the curtain in terms of the actual inner workings of the royal family and how that works. Um, but yeah, I'm, but I'm looking forward to, I also, like my Instagram feed was just absolutely pumping with royal stuff. <laughs> uh, so I'm very, I'm glad, I'm glad that it, and it sort of still is because obviously just being in the crown, you sort of get all of that anyway. But mm -hmm. I think I'm quite looking forward to stepping away from it and, and letting it go. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, we'll see which 2001 relics made it into our time capsule. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations sparking movements and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, 
based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. Uh, we're at that part of the show where uh, we take a look at the time capsule. This is a, now we're right now we're in Y two K era. Um, what retro stuff stood out to you guys in this episode? Um, I don't know if colleges still have foam parties. I, I feel like that's probably something that's fallen out of favor. And I, I don't know. I never attended one. I, I like did. heard about them. But like in the odds, that did happen. It definitely did. It what happened at weird... least through 2015. But I feel like after COVID, they probably got rid of that that's, stuff. Yeah, I would think. Like post-COVID and also probably post-Me Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, yeah, that's probably, a good point. I, I always thought of foam parties as happening like at like Senior Frogs in Cancun. Like that was a spring break activity you didn't do on like at school but to, i guess to, to do it like on the quad that's right. not that's not <laughs> going to clean it up that's well, this is going to clean it up is a question that no college student has, has ever, ever asked, asked. <laughs> this is a place of learning <laughs> but no just the very it's like oh man yeah there was there was a real like bacchanalian the uh the big i went to columbia the big like columbia spring party oh. was literally called bacchanal bacchanal there and yeah go. there was always like i think i feel like every college has at least one of those if not more yes we ours was lawn parties and there was a foam party in what is the, the things. foam? What is it made of? Is it soap? It's got to, I think it's got to be some soap. I would hope. I hope. <laughs> yeah. So it's not as disgusting, maybe, as, uh, it's probably still pretty probably disgusting. Probably still pretty disgusting. It looks absolutely gross. Yeah. I would also skip the foam party to go to Belmoral. <laughs> give, give them the option. You know what? Well, you love to hunt, so. <laughs> yeah. I sure do. Yeah. Of course. Well, not I, as much as Carol Middleton. <laughs> hey <Hey-o>. uh, <laughs> Wow. I would skip the phone party to go with Lola to see All About My Mother at mm. the Cineplex. Oh, she has good cute. taste. That was, I was like, okay. She's very sophisticated, Lola. Moldavar, yeah. Like, yeah. let's imagining Prince William watching that movie did send me into another dimension. <laughs> I mean, that is, <laughs> I, I also liked William sitting alone eating ramen and watching Graham Norton and Celebrity Big Brother. I did not think I'd get a Celebrity Big Brother UK shout out on the show. Eating ramen alone and watching Graham Norton, I finally have something in common with <laughs> Prince William. <laughs> yeah, I will say, I feel like the music did not hit the mark, though, this episode. They could have done a little better. Well, Maybe like, the rights were too Portis much. Well, like, Portishead in year 2001? Like, yeah. what, why Why would that be your choice? I just feel like there were better signifiers. I mean, if you're going to go Natalie Imbruglia in one episode, like, follow it up with, yeah, you let's know. Let's go bigger. So we need more Y2K song. Play, like, I don't know, even play, like, the New Radicals or, like, something yeah. a little more current to the time. Kate Middleton has the dreamer's disease. Or no, Carol, Carol Middleton has, mm. the, has the dreamer's disease. Wake up, kids. <laughs> I knew all of those references. (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can find me on various social medias at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. Media is already plural. Uh, I I realized it as I said it, but thanks a lot. We got to have an editor. That's why we have an editor in the room. And you can find me on the same social media 
at Christress. And mine is Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga and mixing by Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back on December 19th, next Tuesday, with episodes 8, 9, and 10 of The Crown. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. From PRX.